I pray you do not die here in the desert, as all the others who have questioned the Lord. Do not long for the land of the past, as others do. Egypt is behind us. The promise is before us. Long for the land of your children. Only two of the 12 spies were faithful. Find out more on Joshua, More Than a Conqueror, today on Our Jewish Roots. Shalom, friends, and thank you for joining us today. I am David Hart. I'm Kirsten Hart. I'm Joshua. And I'm Caleb. Rakim Habayim. Welcome, my friends. This episode, this is the one, our namesake, Joshua and Caleb, the two spies with a good report when everybody else saw giants and they said it was impossible. We were like, no, I think we can do this. And they really did see giants. Really? I mean, we kind of have fun with that. Like, ooh, Goliath was a giant. Yeah. Like, this is legit. And I... Yeah. I just want to say, we both grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor, uh, and I don't remember ever hearing the name Nephilim or giants really talked about much a, in the Bible. It's a Hebrew word. Giants is translated in English, but it's Nephilim. These right. are the hybrid spawn of, of perverted benai Elohim, these, these angelic beings that came down and mated with the daughters of men and created this monstrosity trying to you know, cut off the Messianic line. It was a perversion that God sent them into and said, wipe them out. You know, we got to get rid of, uh, of that giant spawn. And Joshua and Caleb had no problem. He's like, yeah, we can take those giants. But the other people are like, they're so big, we can't do that. Right, and people, people give God a bad rap in this. It's like, oh my gosh, doesn't God love people? Mm -hmm. Like, why wipe out? That's such a horrible thing. Well, it is horrible if the genetic DNA of humanity yeah. is being wiped out. That's worth going in and taking the land That's and right. wiping That's it right. out. Exactly. God didn't want the genetic disposition to be in the blood, but he also didn't want the sin disposition That's to right. be in the blood. He wanted that wiped out so that that sin would not pollute the bloodline of Messiah. And he actually gave them a good period of time. He gave, he told Abraham, I've given them 400 years, 400 years to the Canaanites to do what was right. That's and right. for 400 years, they still didn't do it. That's right. This story comes to life now in our dramatic reenactment. Let's go there now. Despite the reports of naysayers, Caleb and I had seen with our own eyes the rich, bountiful land of Canaan. The Lord's anger kindles against those who've questioned, those who murmur of, of giants and walled cities in our promised land. My efforts to convince them remain a daunting task, even within the confines of my own tent. Thank you for your help. Caleb will oversee the remainder. There's a murmur in the camp. Again, they would like to stone me. I think that's a bit extreme. Is it not enough that he delivered us from the hands of the Pharaoh? That he parted the Red Sea? That we prevailed against the Amalekites? Enormous vines, wheat, barley, fig trees, pomegranates, it's all there just waiting for us. 
And as the Lord told Moses, while we were still in Egypt, the land flows with milk and honey. I can understand their concern. <sighs> no, no. The reports are misleading. For 40 days, Caleb and I witnessed the very same things that they did. Yes, we saw the walled cities. And yes, we saw the strength of the Anakim and the Canaanites and all of the rest. But the arm of the Lord is so much stronger. We will devour them like bread and possess the land. But what about the giants? Listen to me. I pray you do not die here in the desert as all the others who have questioned the Lord. Do not long for the land of the past as others do. Egypt is behind us. The promise is before us. Long for the land of your children. The land of milk and honey was ever so close for the children of Israel. But despite the favorable reports of Joshua and Caleb, there were those who questioned the decision to possess the land. We came here to the valley of Eshkol, or Mamre, just south of Jerusalem, to walk upon one of the very sites that Joshua and Caleb first beheld in their mission as spies in the land of Canaan. It's known as the land of Chalav Vidvash, in Hebrew, the land of milk and honey. Of course, there's more than just milk and honey, all kinds of fruits. I think that uh, the milk and honey language was popularized because if there's milk, there's animals that are producing it. And if animals are producing it, the land is verdant, it's green. And if there's honey, it means there's bees, there's pollination, there's flowers. It speaks of a land that's alive with milk, with honey, with grape, pomegranate, fig, and other fruits of the earth as well. I look at these fruits of the earth as soda machines. You know, it's a hot day and uh, you just grab some of this and you drink and it is so very delightful. If you can just think of a primitive person, we're told Adam and Cheva were in a garden and the fruit was there for the picking. Sin made its entrance on the stage of the drama. They were kicked out and told they were gonna eat out a living. They were gonna eke it out with a sweat of their brow. Here you're walking down the street and you're picking the fruits and you're getting the delights. It's no wonder that people would compete for this part of the world in Eretz Kena'an here at the southwestern part of the Fertile Crescent. You might recall as B'nai Israel made their way out of Egypt and finally to a place, Kadesh Barnea, that Joshua, uh, uh, well, Moses actually dispatched spies. Joshua was one and they came to the land and they came here, Mamre. Actually, they explored the width, the height, and they came back with the fruits of the land. And of course, the fruits were exotic to people that were slave stock that didn't know these kind of luxuries. And they're told that these big fruits are here. They're also told something else, and that is there's trouble in River City. Not only were the fruits big, but so were the people that consumed them. I want to get to the report, and I'll get to that in a minute, and it's important, by the way, because the people turned back. And the fact that they turned back from the challenge, that negated their being able to get the benefits of the real estate. 
And I wonder if you'll just permit an application. Could it be that God has all kinds of fruits and blessings for you? Not just for you, but in you to be produced out of you. I mention that because in the New Testament context, we're told to bear fruit. We're construed as, in effect, the earth. And God pours his Ruach HaKodesh into our earth. And there's an outgrowth as a result of that. We water the seed of faith that's planted, and then it grows into something and bears fruit. Well, if you go into the Older Testament, there's the land. There's different words for land. There's Eretz, which is land. There's Afar, which is dust. There's Adama. Speaking of the soil, in fact, Adam, man, Adam, came from Adama, from the soil. But other things come from the soil as well, other forms of life. There's the land of promise, the promised land, and it bores special fruits. Are there people that bear fruit? I mean, there's a fruitful existence if we have God in our life. And the question is, are you bearing and cultivating fruit? It's a reasonable question. We're going to look how we can be more than a conqueror and learn to bear fruit and more. But before we get to that, we have to go through the valley of despair and commenting on those that got close. They got to it, but they never got into it. People say, how long did it take the children of Israel to get to Canaan? Uh, people say 40 years. No, it took them 40 years to get into it. Actually, they were there at the second year. They left Mitzrayim, Egypt. They went to Sinai. They grouped there, built the Mishkan, the wor portable worship facility. And then they went up north to the southern border. They sent dispatches in to do what was supposed to be a reconnaissance mission. They went in there for reconnaissance to gather information. But what was supposed to be a reconnaissance mission turned into a feasibility study. It wasn't supposed to be that. But subsequent to that, the whole thing spiraled out of control. And so all there was in front of them was a promise of a better existence, but it's a life they never, ever entered. They just died en route. We'll consider the genesis of the problem in the heart of man. God wants us to be more than a conqueror. He wants us to be a conqueror, not the conquered. He wants us, us, he wants us to be a victor, not a victim. He wants us to be the head and not the tail. It doesn't always work out that way. It's been said that a wise person learns from their mistakes. Well, in this case, let's learn from somebody else's as we look more deeply into the story of Joshua and the spies and learn about being more than a conqueror. Jeff gets me so amped up in these points because he's so right. It's what's in a man's heart mm -hmm. that determines his actions. Too often in life, we put ourselves in environments that go against what we believe in completely, and we say, it's not going to affect us, but look at the Israelites. They had been in Egypt too long. They saw God come in with the 10 plagues, rescue them out. All of this amazing stuff didn't matter in the moment because when the 10 spies came back with a bad report, instead of choosing to listen to the good report, yeah. they chose to listen to what was bad and evil and not trust God. And in fact, they were going to kill Moses and Aaron and stone Joshua and Caleb and God literally jumped in and he flipped the script on them. It, it's sad but true. They're ready to stone them all and God intervenes. And then God's like, I'm going to wipe them all out. Moses, stand back. Let me take care of them. But Moses... You know, please, Lord, don't wipe them out. 
for your name's sake, don't wipe them out. And, and they, God inter intervenes. He's like, okay, I won't wipe them all out, but all the adults, the parents, 20 years old and over, they can't go into the promised land. They're going to wander for 40 years in the wilderness, and only their children will go into the land of promise. And it's sad that Joshua and Caleb, they were the oldest that end up going. They were the elders, the oldest of, a, of all the 12 tribes that end up going into the promised land and fulfilling the, the promises of God. Rebellion is a big deal with God. It is. It may not seem like a big deal to you, but he takes it very seriously, and I'll get to that in a second. But you look at what happens with the Israelites, and mm. the next few steps they take are marked with rebellion. Yeah. The second he says they're not going to go into land, what do they do? They do what anybody says whenever you say, there's a bomb, and they rush the border, they right? They try to get in. And yes. what happens? God has them smitten and written That's out, right. and so then they get a Levite going on right there. Yeah, was Korah, Korah with his rebellion, yeah. And what happens next? They're wiped out. They're wiped out. And so again, they're like, well, we got to get rid of Moses. we got to get rid we're of Aaron. This is this guy's fault. What happens? Plagues. Plagues. And you know, so every time this happens, God puts his, his hand out and goes, no, why? Because mm. rebellion, original sin, when Lucifer looked and said, I don't know, I don't need God. Look at me. Mm. God put a stop to it, and that's why he will not allow rebellion to continue on. And this time of wandering in the wilderness is very important, it's very symbolic. The 40 years, we know that the wilderness represents this time of trial and testing and lack. And your time in the wilderness will either produce fruit in you or it will produce death. And you see that Moses himself went into the wilderness for 40 years and God trained him as a shepherd to, to shepherd an entire nation of people, Yeshua went into the wilderness for 40 days and he was tempted by Satan himself. He overcame every temptation and, and uh, that fruit was produced and he became uh, worthy to go out and start preaching the news uh, of the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you see Paul himself, he went into the wilderness for over three years after he came to know Yeshua because it was that, that time that he had to seek God and hear from the Holy Spirit himself to get all that legalism and the law out of him till he was ready to go preach the grace that came by the blood of Yeshua. So well, we want to be uh, faithful during that time of testing, during that time of trial. You may be in that time of the wilderness right now in your life. You're like, how long, God? How? You know, and you're ready to get out, but be faithful during that time because you will reach the promised land eventually. And remember that reaching the promised land is not the only story. It's who you become in that process, mm. and that's why you have to stick to it. Let's go back to Jeff and see what happens next in the story. Earlier, we saw pomegranate and grape, uh, uh, but there's all kinds of fruits here in the Holy Land. Figs, by the way, as in these, are noteworthy. They're referred to in the Bible in the Older Testament. Security is everyone dwelling under his fig tree, interestingly. And similarly, in the Newer Testament, in the Johannine Gospel, chapter 2, Jesus speaks of a man and says, I saw you under the fig tree. Again, the land is so much associated with fruits. But the story here with these fruits is associated with a bad news story. And I don't like to tell it, but it's in the book. And there's a window here into pathology, into being toxic, learning how things can go horribly wrong in life. I want to pick up in the book Bamidbar in the wilderness. We know it as Numbers. In the 13th chapter, we're told that uh, the spies who had come into this area uh, in Eretz Kena'an to do a reconnaissance mission, 
That is to say, they're supposed to gather information. If an army is coming this way, they need to know where there's orchards, water supply, major cities, populations, etc. They need a general idea of where they're going. They came here to do reconnaissance, but they did more than that. They came here on a reconnaissance missions. They returned with a feasibility study. They told Moshe Rabbeinu, Mother, Moses and others, listen, yeah, the land is this and that, but we can't do it. Those people are just way too big. It's a bad story. In chapter 13, verse 31, we're told, V'hanashim asher alu imo omru. The men that went up, that is the spies, uh, came up and said, and I quote, Lo nukalalot el ha'am. We are not able to go up against this people. We can't do it. They go on to say, Ki chazaku mimenu, because they are stronger than we. They feared. These were people who not long before were slave stock in the land of Egypt. And uh, they left Egypt uh, God was their soldier. The waters parted, they walked through. It wasn't as a result of their agency. They were just swept up into circumstances beyond their control. But now they're facing a situation where they have to bear arms for a specific purpose, but they just uh, wince away from doing so. They are fearful. They lack confidence, confides, with faith. They go on to report the people are just so big. And if that's not bad enough, they're skilled in war and we're novices. And if that's not bad enough, they have military advantage behind ramparts, behind walls and walled cities. It didn't look good. And when they put it all together, they said, it can't be done. We're told, by the way, in 32, they go on to say, etc. He goes on to say, they spread an evil report. An evil report. The rabbis, I should say, in looking at that, uh, they go beyond an evil report and say that they invented a lie. They invented a lie. And when you live with that lie, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. They go on to exaggerate and say, listen, they're so big and we're like grasshoppers. They just, they spiral out of control. We can't do it. Well, the last I checked, they couldn't get out of Egypt either, but guess what? There was heaven's help for life's vexing problems because God who calls you can lead you successfully into the future. And he did just that then, but oh my, did they forget. Now, I don't want to talk about them. I want to talk about you, and I want to talk about me. That is to say, because these aren't the only ones that turn away from challenges. And when you turn away from it, by the way, you can get so close to the promised land, but never get into it. And I wonder how many people are watching this and hearing me that keep going around the same old mountain. That is to say, you kind of believe in God, you have religious conviction, but it seems that success in life is 13 inches away and you only have a 12 inch reach. For some reason, you just can't quite get to it. Fear prompts people to turn back. I know that, I lived that. 
It's one of the reasons why it took me to the 30 to get married because uh, I was afraid to ask. I was afraid I'd get rejected. I was afraid that they would say no. So I lived alone. In other words, fear became a prison. It was the same thing with school. You know, I wound up becoming a college professor, but interestingly, it took me till 26 or so to get into college. Why is that? Because I did so poorly in high school. Why is that? Because of fear. I had to learn to say no to fear and yes to a good God and a good future. And I know from firsthand experience that if you hold tight to fear, it ruins your life. We could be so much further along in life. I have 30 years under my belt as a college professor, among other things, worked with a lot of young people, and I would tell them all, shoot for the moon, lift up your eyes, dream big, shoot for the moon, and even if you miss the mark, you'll land somewhere among the stars and be so much better off in life than had you dared not to dream in the first place. I believe in dream stuff, especially if I believe that we're a redeemed people. That if, if Jesus lives in us and the Holy Spirit guides us, then we are people with a future. Would that we dared to dream. Would that we didn't turn back, but that we move forward. And the process of so doing, we learned what it is to be more than a conqueror. For the Israeli Defense Forces, the saying more than conquerors is more than a slogan. My good friend, Chaim Mailspin, who serves with the Israeli Defense Forces, is going to give us a window into how the Israeli army is taught to go forth and slay the giants. Sarge, uh, when I look in the Bible, these spies are dispatched to go into the land, and those people are so big, their fortifications are so high, they're afraid. There's some that have confidence. What do they teach you in the Israeli Defense Forces about looking beyond the current malaise and believing for a successful outcome? Well, I'll, I'll give you a story my commander gave me. Commanding officer, he calls everyone in one day and he says, hey, uh, you guys, do you have any complaints? One of, the sol one of the soldiers came and he said, our thermal vision, we have this little refrigerator that, you know, thermal vision so you can see a heat imprint. And he said, sometimes I can't see the heat imprint properly. I don't want to go out to war. And he said, let me tell you a story. In 1948, War of Independence, when Israel was reborn, well, guess what? He said, my grandfather went out and he fought with only a shovel. He believed in the cause that we're all here in this defense force. We're here to defend the defenseless. We can't give up. And so sometimes you see the giants in the land. And there were giants in the time of Joshua. There are giants now. Some of those giants could even be within you. But if you know how to say, I am going to look beyond that, I'm going to look towards the mission and tenacity to that mission. Again, one of our core competencies, our core values, the tenacity to the mission. It doesn't matter. It's it, one of our slangs or our, our mottos is, this is what we have, and with this we shall succeed. Well, Sarge, the Israeli Defense Forces under Moses initially, uh, they didn't have that disposition. It didn't work very well for them as a result, did it? No, and I know the spies, when they came back, as you mentioned, they brought a bad report, and that delayed their success. Have you seen bad reports in the Israeli Defense Forces, and have you seen people blow out because they just weren't made of the right stuff? They didn't have confidence. It's true. Some people say, this journey is just too hard for me. I know one guy, they said, okay, he had to drop and give 100 push-ups. You know, and at one point he just says, I'm not doing this. You know, and, and in our elite unit, all you have to do is sign, I quit. You write, I quit. That's all. And you hand it in and you can then go to the regular battalions, the regular uh, company. And so I, they would always come to me and say, hey, you look tired. Would you like to just write those two words? And I would say, absolutely not. 
take that hamburger and french fries away from me. I will eat nasty army food. <laughs> You're looking for that eye of the tiger, that vision That's of right. faith, correct? That's correct. Thanks, Sarge. I am as a dear friend to this ministry. We consider him actually as our Jewish brother. We go on tour with him. He gets on our bus and we hear wonderful insight from him. He had some really good self-control being disciplined, a, man. Yes, he's disciplined. You gotta be a soldier if you're, yeah. you know, disciplining a soldier. Right. Have either of you served in the military? No, nope. we haven't actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's, yeah. You you could have been IDF. Yeah. You could have easy. Okay, so I had a rumor. I heard a rumor. Uh -huh. uh, is this? Do you work out two times a day? <laughs> Like I, to the gym? I have definitely spent many years uh, doing two-a-days, working out in the morning and working mm. out at night. Um, when you have a goal in mind, discipline is the only thing that's going to see you through to that goal. Okay, I, I, I am jumping in on you totally. Yep. You mentioned looking a certain way. <laughs> you, all of you watching, you, you haven't stood up. I mean, yeah. I've got to say... <laughs> You are a little Nephilimish. You oh. don't have no, no, in a good way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't have six fingers and six toes. I hope. <laughs> but not. I mean, your your stature. You uh. Yeah. He's six the, foot eight. Six? You are not. Six foot eight. I'm six six. Yes. Wow. We, Sorry, I don't mean to downplay no, no, your no, no, physical no, no. I'm stature. Not big. I'm not. <laughs> he, he was skinny, and I had a thicker frame. Well, you know, we we are tall. Mm -hmm. uh, I like to believe that God wanted the uh, Giants to have a run for their money, at least, with, right. with a good fight for us. But the the point is, you're always going to have an obstacle in life. You're mm -hmm. always going to face a giant in yes. your life. There's always something you're going to come across that seems too big to be able to overcome and to handle. And that is when keeping your eye on the solution is so important. Mm. So often we get focused on the problem. How am I going to overcome this obstacle? Mm. We stare at it, we give it all of our authority and all of our power, and it defeats us every time. We give in to worry and fear. What does the Bible say in Luke? It says, how many of you have ever added a second to your life by worrying about That's it? Right. You yeah. haven't. So our focus has to be on the author and finish of our faith. And when our focus is on the solution, he's going to guide us to it every single time. That's that's good. That makes me want to get back in the gym, like tonight. <laughs> That's awesome. Joshua just mentioned about not walking in fear and, and knowing that God has a plan. And I, I don't want you to walk in fear. We don't want to walk in fear here with the program that we aren't going to be able to make it another year. I mean, finances in the world are tight. We are coming to you right now to say we need your financial help. We hope that you will vote with your dollar, that you want what is coming across this camera to you right now is valuable and that you're learning from it. And if you are, please, please donate to keep this program on the air. I also mentioned earlier that Chaim Mailspin gets on our bus when we are at the Sea of Galilee in Tiberias. He has wonderful insight. He's a brother. You will love him. We ask you to join us or consider joining us on a tour to Israel. We go both in the fall and the spring. Pray about it. Join us. Guys. You have guys, to wrap it up I again. know it. I want to go to Israel now that I've heard that. I've been before. It's <laughs> yeah. an incredible trip. I want you, everyone to remember, Shalu Shalom, Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Join us right now for additional content that is only available on our social media sites. Visit our website, levitt.com, for the current and past programs the television schedule, tour information, and our free monthly newsletter, which is full of insightful articles and news commentary. View it online, or we can ship it directly to your mailbox every month. Also on our website is the online store. There you can order this week's resource, 
or you can always give us a call at 1-800-WONDERS. Your donations to Zola Levitt Ministries helps us to support these organizations as they bless Israel. Please remember, we depend on tax-deductible donations from viewers like you.